Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Tara Barrett. Tara Barrett is a folklore master's student at Memorial University who holds a BA in folklore and French, and is currently completing her MA in public and applied folklore. In 2015, Tara completed a work term with the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador as part of her MA program. Her research interests include foodways, customs, material culture, and public folklore. Tara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dale. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Today, I wanted to talk to you about one particular project that you worked on for two summers, uh, and that is the Petty Harbor Oral History Project. So this kind of had two parts. It had a, a, a collection component, which started in 2014, and then it carried on with the publication of a booklet, which was launched in 2015. So maybe we'll go back to the very beginning and uh, just tell me a little bit about the, the starting days of the Petty Harbor Oral History Project. So I guess uh, the starting days of the Petty Harbor Oral History Project was just kind of getting an idea of what what the project would entail. Um, and then it was mainly inter, like lining up interviews. Um, I had a contact down in Petty Harbor at the museum, uh, Anne Payne, and uh, she set me up with my first interview, was, which was actually with her and her mother, Annie Lee, who's um, in her 90s, and she's living in a home in, in uh, Mount Pearl, and she was actually really sweet. Um, so that was my first interview. And um, Anne also set me up with a couple other people, Um, like a former mayor who had, you know, was on the museum committee. Um, And then I also went out to Petty Harbor when they had the museum. The museum had had some work done. So I went out when they had a museum opening and and took me around and said, this is Tara, you're going to do an interview (laughs) with her to like a number of different people around the room. So that was... And uh, roped people into being in the project. Yes. And I think that's important sometimes when you're doing an oral history project, you know, having a a, a local person who can kind of make introductions to you. Because you're not from Petty Harbor, are you? No, I'm not from Petty Harbor But you do have some kind of family connection there? Yes. Uh, So my aunt, who's my mom's sister, is married to... My uncle Gord, who's from, he's a Doyle from Petty Harbor. So yes, I do have a, a family connection there. And there's lots of Doyles in Petty Harbor. There yeah. are tons <laughs> of Doyles in Petty Harbor. So how did that how did that help you when you were when you were setting up interviews? Did you did you play the family card sometimes? I didn't usually because I don't I don't usually like to play the family card. But um, sometimes people ask if I'm from there, and I would say no, I'm not from here. I do have family there, and then I'd say who they were. Oh. Oh, you know Gordy? Oh, do you know Gordy? And then, you know, so it would work in my favor <laughs> and then if, you're if in. it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that's the thing that always happens here. You know, you have to you have to establish how you're related to someone or someplace. Yeah. yeah. So you talked about that first that first interview that you did um, with the, the woman in the in the senior's home. Can, tell, tell me about that interview. How was that, to do an interview like that? It was good. Um, I think it was probably the first interview that I had done with two people. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd done interviews before for classes and... Uh, research papers but I think that was the first interview that I'd done with two people so that was uh, that was an interesting one just because um Annie Lee miss like Miss Lee had like a little bit of a hearing issue so it would kind of be it was kind of like a three-way conversation because like Anne Payne would often repeat what I had said just a little bit louder for her mother or or change it a little bit so that her mother would be able to hear it and respond accordingly so it was a little different that way but it was a really good interview and they both had great stories and Annie Lee was just really funny. <laughs> I, I remember uh, we had an intern at one point who was off doing an interview with someone, 
an an elderly gentleman. I think who was a I think he turned a hundred or something around the time of the uh, the interview. A man from um, uh, Bay Roberts or Spaniards Bay, I think. And and he was almost completely deaf, I, <laughs> I think. And they would ask him questions, and he'd just kind of smile and nod, and then talk about whatever he wanted to talk about. You know, he just he, he conducted the interview himself. He just he just talked about the topics he wanted to talk about. Um, so the the museum was instrumental, I guess, in in helping you identify people. Uh, so roughly, how many people did you interview as part of the project? Um, There's 20 people interviewed as part of the project. Uh, I guess I interviewed. 18 of those, and then we had a pair, a father and a son, who were interviewed during the Petty Harbor uh, Maddox Cove Arts and Heritage Festival. Okay. Um, so what kind of uh, topics were you looking to get information on, or what sort of questions did you ask people? Uh, well, I guess kind of the main theme was kind of just community events, so that was kind of like card games, uh, visiting, um, it turned into a bit, like a fair bit, about children's games and growing up in the community, which which is great. But, I mean, at the, at the start, it was just kind of like community events. So, it was, um, you know, they used to hold garden parties and church dances and different parties and events and concerts. But it, it, it turned into a mix of that combined with kind of growing up in the community. Yeah. Um, do you have any special memories in terms of the interviews that you did? Were there any interviews that really stood out for you as an interviewer? There's a couple of interviews that stood out. Um, one I did with a, an older gentleman who was in a home and... Um, Actually, his cousin contacted me and said, "You know, Cyril would be a great interview. You should go and interview him." So I, I showed up at his at his his cottage in the in the home, and um, three or four of his cousins were also there, and they had brought lobster, and they were boiling it up. So that was an interesting interview because I feel like he wanted to talk about Petty Harbor, but at the same time, I think he just wanted to be out like with his cousins with the lobster so I mean it was a good interview uh, and he was he was really a good man to chat to and he'd actually been a former mayor and knew sort of like kind of the, the older history of the community yeah um, and then when I left they they sent me home with two lobster which was lovely <laughs> that's always nice when you go home with food yeah yeah so did the cousins kind of sit around and watch as the uh, as you did the interview or they were kind of trying to get the the Coleman stove on the go <laughs> right because <laughs> they had that set up outside and then they decided to move it inside so they were kind of in and out but they weren't really there for the interview bit yeah and who else did you interview for the project oh who else did I interview um well another one which I guess stands out a little bit is um I interviewed a man Mike Hearn who lived on um, one side of the of Petty Harbor, and um, I was going to interview him and his wife, but his wife was too nervous. But when I got there, they insisted that I have some slush. And I was like, "No, no, that's fine." Like I, don't, they were like, "Oh, we just like it's it's fresh, it's cold, it's really hot outside. You got to have some slush." And he had really great stories. <laughs> and so, for those who uh, might be listening from away and who don't know what slush is, what is what is slush? Slush is like an alcoholic beverage <laughs> that is made in Newfoundland. And it's frozen, and then you scoop out. I think it's it's like alcohol and like orange juice, which you then mix with a pop, kind of like a usually like a Seven Up or a, a Sprite or something. Yeah, it's always good to kind of get the questions and conversation started. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So you interviewed about about twenty people. Um, mm-hmm. What did you learn about Petty Harbor that you didn't know going into it? I learned lots. Like, I I mean, going into it, I knew a little bit about Petty Harbor. I knew about the, the bit about the geography, but, like, I learned some interesting things about, like, 
how there was a north side and a south side, which meant there's kind of like a Catholic side and a Protestant side, and they didn't really mix for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that interesting. Uh, one one man told me about how, you know, if you were coming across the bridge in Petty Harbor, um, you know, you, you might get into a, like a bit of a fight amongst each other if there was like Catholics and Protestants on one side or the other. Um, you know, I learned about the different dances that they used to hold and like they had um community concerts which were a big thing uh they used to do one around st patrick's day and usually one around christmas which were really big so i learned i don't know tons about petty harbor which i didn't know before were there uh stories about particular places in in petty harbor that stand out yeah there was uh in particular there's one about uh, this place called the stand which is where um usually older well fishermen would stand and they would talk they would walk back and forth and walk back and forth and they would tell stories and they'd also um you know exchange news and there was uh one man i I think it was gus kiley who was telling me that there was a particular man in the community who would he knew how to read but he would sometimes have a newspaper with him and somebody would ask him what was in the newspaper and he would just make something up make something (laughs) up completely but because the other man who was asking didn't know how to read he just assumed that that was the news and, you know, took it as face value. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I heard a story once from somewhere that uh, some community, somewhere around Carboneer, someone told me a story once about there was a, a fellow who uh, was known to be a really good uh, reader, that he had this he had this big book of stories, and, and people would go to his house and he would read them stories out of this book. And everyone was really impressed because he could read, and he had this wonderful book full of stories. And then years later, people found out that he didn't actually know how to read, that he had just been flipping the pages and pretending to read and making these amazing stories up out of his head. But because he was reading, he had, you know, kind of a certain level of respect that he wouldn't have otherwise, which was great. Um, so you took all these uh, stories and, and the first step was to archive them digitally. So you put them on the on Memorial University Digital Archive, created a, a collection there. Mm-hmm. And then what was the next step? Well, kind of... Through that, um, I did tape logs. So for anyone who doesn't know what a tape log is, it's basically instead of writing out a full transcript or exactly what was said in the interview, you kind of write out, like, if somebody starts and talks about children's games for, you know, a minute and then they switch to, you know, a particular children's game or they switch to a community concert, then you write out um, just kind of timestamps of what's being said. Um, so while I was doing that, I also made a note of things that were particularly interesting or things that really stood out or kind of themes that developed out of that. So while I was doing the, the tape logs, I kind of chose a couple of stories that seemed to stand out. And then I went back and I listened and I pulled out excerpts from different people and made sure that there was, you know, a couple from each person that kind of, you know, brought it together and kind of told the story of what I heard when I was in Petty Harbor Maddox Cove. Right. Okay. Uh, so how long are these interviews, in the individual interviews? Usually an hour. Um I'd say they probably range from a half an hour to two hours, yeah. but they're usually an hour. About an hour. And all of these are available online. Yes. So if people go to the to Memorial University Digital Archive, it's collections.mon.ca, and there's a Petty Harbor collection there now. Mm-hmm. And they can listen to the full... The full, the full interview. Perfect, yeah. And most of the tape logs are up there. Not every tape log is up there, but most of them are. Um, yeah. And there's also a picture of the person who was interviewed as well. Okay. So that was kind of the first phase of the project then, mm-hmm. was doing the, the oral history work. Um, and, then, and then you had these excerpts that you had taken out, and you did the transcription. 
uh, of those. You, you converted that into a print uh, print format, and then you came up with this booklet. Um, so tell me a little bit of, about the booklet and, and what it is and the name of it and where the name comes from. Uh, well, I guess to start off, though, I guess um, before the booklet even got started, I also applied for a grant, which was the Helen Creighton grant. Okay. Um, so that was kind of writing out a short description of what the project was, so what had happened already, doing the interviews and all that, and then what I planned to do with it, uh, so to make this this booklet, which would go back into the community. Um, so I applied for that in February as part of my public folklore uh, course at MUN, and then I found out that I received it in March, which was good because it meant that I could spend the time that I needed to finish it and put it all together. So the booklet is called uh, There Was No Pavement Then, uh, memories of growing up in Petty Harbor, Maddox Cove. And the title actually comes from a quote in the book, which was by a woman, uh, Betty Cheeseman, and she's just talking about uh, children's games in the community. And so her quote was, There was no pavement then. It was all dirt road, and we would play in the schoolyard hopscotch. We would draw out the hopscotch with our sticks in the sand, and we had lots of time and lots of fun. Um, so there's lots of lots of quotes about, you know, kind of the joys of growing up in Petty Harbor and how you know, it was a great time. It might have been, there was hard times too, but mm-hmm. it was just kind of like an all together, a fun community that kind of pulled together and everyone. So people had pretty good, mem- like rosy memories yes. of, of the community. Yeah, yeah. Or th- those were the, what they were comfortable sharing, I guess. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting talking about rosy, me- rosy memories was that um, two brothers who were twins, um, one brother stayed in the community and one brother left and they had very different memories. Right, yeah. So I can just read two excerpts from, or an excerpt from each brother. So from Gussie Kiley, who taught, who's kind of like the rosy memories of it. He said, everything was so much fun then. Like we were always outside, always, always. We would go out in the morning, right? We'd leave and the men, we would wait with the men to come out. But when we were younger and we weren't involved with the fishery because we were too small to have down around the stage, we would leave at nine o'clock in the morning and go up in the hills, up in First Pond, the graveyard and all that place you know and we were catching frogs and we were doing this and then we'd wander down and we'd pick blueberries in a can and then his brother his twin brother's uh, kind of take on growing up was he's just talking about the community or the children's games he says piddly sticks alleys we were never into sports right never a bit of baseball that's all right never played hockey in my, in my life never knew how to skate never learned how to swim all we done when we was young was work I was out fishing when I was eight years old we always fished with my father so it's very interesting because, um, I mean, there was both sides of it, but just to hear two brothers. And so one of the brothers had moved away? Yeah. So which was the one with the rosier memory? The one who had moved away. <laughs> right. Which I think it's might interesting. have contributed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting when that happens. Can, can you give us another example of, uh, of a story, a particular story that stands out for you? I certainly can. Um, I'll choose one that's um, kind of just in the growing up section, which is quite a funny story. And it's, uh, it's from a man, Ron Doyle. So he's just talking about growing up in the community. And Rondo is, one, is also involved with the local historical society yes. and the museum committee, yeah. And he was a former mayor of A the, former mayor, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. I can never remember being hungry, but I can always remember being cold. You would get up in the morning, everything would be froze up. You know, you'd be froze to death. But we never did have running water or anything like that. I always tell about that. You know, you had a bucket for your water, and you had a bucket as your washroom as well. What they would do is they would buy a new enamel bucket, and first going off, they would use that for the water, because it was fairly new, and when, when it would get old, they would use it for the other bucket, right? But I always recall one time, and I tell about getting up one night and wanting to go to the washroom, but there was a new bucket up there where the old bucket usually was, and anyway, I didn't want to use it. I said, that can't be the one for the washroom, because it looks too new, right? 
So I sang out through the grate. We used to have a grate in the floor where the heat would come up through the floor. And when you were singing out to someone downstairs, talking to them, you would talk to the grate, right? And I recall singing out to my mom. Mom, can I piss in that new bucket? She said, yes, me, honey, indeed you can. <laughs> so I just thought that was a great, you know, they didn't have running water in the house, but that's kind of like a fantastic little hilarious memory yeah. of growing up in Petty Harbor. And, and, you know, the title of the book, like, there was no pavement then, you know, where there, there was a time before the streets were paved in Petty Harbor. And, and then the, these stories about people not having indoor plumbing. So, so people uh, who you interviewed really have lived through some changes in the community. The community has is not exactly the same community as it was when they when they were growing up. Not at all. I mean, yeah, talking about cars, there was a a man, uh, Jimmy Doyle, who talked about, you know, how excited they would get when they saw a car because there wasn't that many cars in the community. So, like, especially if a dump truck, like a truck came through, all the kids would go and run and, like, look at the <laughs> truck or the car because, like, exciting. they didn't have that many in, in the harbor. Yeah, dump trucks are exciting to, to kids today. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I can only yeah. imagine what it was like, you know, in the 50s or 60s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a story as well that you had collected, I know, about a, a, t- a television, how people didn't really have uh, televisions in the community. Yeah, that was a, that was actually from Ron Doyle as well. He, um, when he was a kid, he used to go down. There was a man who owned the bus service in Petty Harbor, uh, Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee, yes, the famous Lee's bus service. Yes, yeah, yeah. So because you know they were, I guess they had the bus service, so they were one of the first families in the harbor to get a TV. And so Mr. Lee would let the kids in the community kind of just stand on the rocks or the ledge outside his window. And just peer inside and watch TV. So the kids would be watching whatever he was watching on TV. <laughs> so he was the remote control. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, do you have another story for us? A little, little excerpt? Um, I guess another thing that people talked about a fair bit was Christmas. Right. Um, they talked about keeping the, you know, the 12 days of Christmas. Um, visiting was also talked about um, going from family member to family member or just like, you know, community members. Um, and a lot of people mentioned music, which would be played um, during that time. Um, so this is just a quote from Cyril Witten, who's talking about mummering. At Christmas time, the whole 12 days, there would be visiting. And the main thing was mummering. They used to go mummering for 13 nights. The old 13th, we used to call it. Put in the 13 nights of mummering, going from one house to the other. Yeah, we used to get a great charge out of that. So that's just him talking about how much fun they had during the Christmas season. Hmm. So holidays were, you know, something that people obviously, you know, sticks out in people's memories, you know, something special that would happen during the year. So you, you pulled these stories together and you, and you um, made the booklet. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the design and, and how, you, how you did that? Sure. Um, well, I guess, first off, once I had the excerpts, I just kind of broke them down into different sections, which are different themes, which fit the... What the, what the excerpts were. So there's, you know, there's a little bit on children's games, a little bit on growing up, uh, folk beliefs, hard work in the community, all these different sections. So once I had the different sections, I, you know, went back through the pictures that I had of the community members and chose where to put them um, in relation to, I didn't want too many pictures in a section, but I also wanted to make sure that the person who, like, the person's picture was connected with their quote somehow. Sure. Yeah. But um, because I had more than one quote from one person, it was just kind of figuring out where they would fit um, in relation to their quotes and in relation to how many pictures were in there. Um, and then it was kind of just sent off to Graham Blair, who's a local um, graphic designer and also woodwork artist um, who works out of the plantation. 
um, and then he fit together, you know, he chose how to, I guess, lay out all the different pictures and the different quotes, and then he sent it back, and I reviewed it and made sure that everything was okay, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we gave it the go-ahead. And then you launched it in the community, and mm-hmm. there's a, there was a new cafe that had opened up in the community, the Watershed Cafe. Um, what was the what was the reaction of the participants like to the to the official launch? It was great, I have to say. Yeah, why? Uh, well, it was. I was pleasantly surprised with how many people were there, um, because I guess uh, going into it, I had no idea how many people would come out. Um, but I made sure to contact everybody who um, was in the booklet and let them know I sent out. Um, postcards and then I tried to follow up with a phone call for everyone um but no everyone was really happy which I was glad about because you never know putting something back out <laughs> yeah. to the community if if you know it's people's words and their people's memories words, and lives, exactly yeah. so I was you know I mean there was nothing in there that's particular I mean I just you know I, I took the interviews and everyone agreed to have the interviews online to have them recorded and all that so but still putting it back you know you have that slight like oh I hope they like it but I mean did you get feedback? Did yeah, people say things to you? everybody that I talked to really loved it. Um, you know, there was one man, uh, Mike Hearn, who came up afterwards and, like, talked my ear off, like, 15 minutes or something. and was like, oh, I had so many more stories I could have told you. And he was like, you know, if you came back and interviewed everybody again, they'd have so many more things. Yeah. It's like, I know, like, that's, you kind of have to rein in a, an oral history project. But, I mean, that's the beauty of it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about about that. You know, like what what are some of your tips for for a community that wanted to do something similar to this? Where what kind of advice would you give them? What did you, what have you learned doing this project? I would say if you This was a bit we had kind of like a, a general theme, but if you, you know, I would recommend choosing a topic of some sort before you just go out and do interviews because if you go out and do interviews, like you do one interview with someone, somebody else is going to give you somebody else to talk to. So you could end up with lots and lots of interviews with yeah. no real theme. And not that you need a theme, like if you, but you kind of need some sort of direction. So I'm going to say, yes, you do need a theme. <laughs> I'm going to take that back. You do need some sort of a direction. Yeah. Um, so I'd recommend starting with some, some general theme. Um, and then if you don't, if you don't know anybody in the community or if you're an outsider, then I'd recommend making some sort of contact in that community so that you can, you know, going into a community cold I I think would be very hard I right. mean going in to Petty Harbor I, I knew met with one woman and she helped introduce me to everyone so I you know recommend contacting somebody before you just try and phone up people and say would you mind doing an interview not that people wouldn't but yeah be better generally love to talk but yeah <laughs> but it's nice but to it's have somebody easier to if you it. have yeah. one person to kind of help you and and what about what about the interviews themselves? Were there any, were, would there be any tips or tricks that you would give to someone who maybe hasn't done an oral history interview before? Um, well, I mean, I guess just kind of like the basics that you learn in field school and all those different things. So you know, make sure you know your equipment. Make sure you have your your backup batteries. You know, your charger, all those things, so that when you get there, you're actually prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if, if there's not an electrical source that's easy, easily accessible, then you need something like batteries to have that as an option. Um, I mean... Well, in terms of how do, you get, how do you get good answers out of people? I think just eye contact, um, listening to what they say and responding to what they say rather than asking another question. So, like, if I was talking to you about children's games and you told me about Piddly and I didn't know what Piddly was, but my next question was, did you play hopscotch? I wouldn't just say, did you play hopscotch? I'd say, oh, and what is Piddly? Like, you know, following up on their questions or following up on their answers rather than just 
reading question after question. Yeah. So I think there's some good those are some good tips there. You know, so like knowing your theme is is yes. certainly important. And then um, having someone in the community that can be a, a broker, or a community person who can give you uh, some help, knowing your equipment, and then, you know, that kind of doing follow-up questions and uh, asking, you know, open-ended questions about things. That's great. And one other thing I'd recommend is I, I love long silences in oral history interviews because people always say something interesting. Yeah. So. so don't rush it. No. Don't rush it. Yeah. Very good. So should I leave a long pause here and wait for you to say you can, something really, I can, yeah. <laughs> really interesting? Yeah. One of my, uh, I did an interview with uh, my uncle this one time and he was telling me about, it, it was about like downtown St. John's and he was telling me about um, growing up downtown and talking about this particular hill that he would slide down. And he said, you know, he'd slide down the hill and at the bottom of the hill, it's right by like where the Salvation Army building used to be. And then he had this long pause. And he said, oh, we used to shoot pigeons off the roof of that building. And then he <laughs> talked about, like, fishing in that, like, the river, which was there. So, like, if... If you had jumped in, you wouldn't have got the, the pigeon no. story. Yeah, that's that's good. And I guess the thing is, if you're doing an oral history interview, you can always edit out the silences. Or if you're doing a booklet, you mm-hmm. know, the silences don't, oh, no. don't show up, you know. But it's different if you're doing something like a radio interview. You don't yeah, want those you don't long, want those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, do you have another couple uh, excerpts there? I know you talked about Piddly. Mm-hmm. What you know? What is that? What is Piddly? So Piddly, for anyone who doesn't know, is a game which I've never actually played. So I'm going to go to my booklet and tell you from this how you would play Piddly. So this is from Jimmy Doyle, who's describing Piddly. And so for anybody who knows the game Tiddly, which is played in Carabineer, they have a world... The World Cup of Tiddly, yes. yes. Famous in, in Conception Bay, yeah. Yeah. In in Petty Harbor, they call it Piddly. So for anyone who doesn't know, this is what Jimmy Doyle describes as Piddly. We used to have two rocks, and you put a small stick across the rocks, right? A longer stick, and then you used to put it there and flick it with the small stick at the other team. If they caught it, you were out. If they didn't, they'd have to take the stick and throw it back. You would put the long stick across the rocks, and then you had to try and knock that one off. Like I said, it was our own game. We had our own rules. So it's kind of the rules of Pity Harbor. Uh, Piddly. Piddly, yeah. Uh, one of the things you also mentioned that you collected stories about was about folk belief. Mm-hmm. Um, does anything kind of stand out in your memory? Or, there, or is there an excerpt in the booklet that, that kind of deals with this idea of uh, superstition or, or uh, folk belief in the community? There was a couple of ones that uh, uh, that stand out, and, I, and I'll read a a short one here on um, on folk belief, but um, you know, there's a lot that developed around the fishery because you know Petty Harbor was a fishing community, so there's a lot like you wouldn't turn against the sun in your boat. So if you had to go back to Petty Harbor, you would go all the way around. You would turn your boat all the way around rather than turning against the sun to mm. get back. Um, another the one that's here is uh, whistling. So this is from Jack Walsh, who's remembering this particular story. I can remember one time this man and myself and his son, we used to knock around together. So we were going out to the cod trap this evening in the boat. Two of us sat down, and we were only young, you know, not old enough to go fishing or anything, but just going for a run with the men. And we were sat down in the boat, and we were going along. And it was a make-or-break motor, they called it then. I don't remember which one of us started to whistle, and we knew nothing until down came the big stick and hit the boards between the two of us, and he shouted, Don't dare whistle in this boat! He said, whistle up a storm. So that's another one of those folk beliefs. Yeah, it's interesting. And I've heard I've heard similar stories about, you know, never whistling in a boat. That There were certain things that you didn't talk about in, in boats. Um, 
uh, my late father-in-law, George Jones, he, he was a ship's engineer, and he always said you would never talk about horses on a boat because there was this belief among the engineers that, uh, that if you talked about horses, it would conjure up a storm uh, in some way. And whistling was also something that he said, you know, you could never, ever whistle on a boat. Uh, so if people want to get a copy of the booklet or to see the booklet, where can they, where can they find it? Um, well, we've got it down in the Watershed Cafe, which was where we did the booklet launch uh, last week. Was that last week or two weeks ago now? Anyway, sometime in July, July 9th. Um, so it's down in the Watershed Cafe, and you can purchase it there. It's $5. Um, you know, you can get your own copy and pick up a couple more for family members or friends. <laughs> yeah, if you have family from Petty Harbor, <laughs> yes, it's exactly. a great little gift. And, and it's also available online as a PDF. Yes. So people can go to... Uh, the Digital Archive. The Digital Archive, or they can go to mun.ca slash ICH, and uh, they can download a digital copy. And there's other uh, little oral history booklets that the, the ICH office has done as well. Mm-hmm. So Tara, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm Del Jarvis. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.